Hello there. You're listening to Sasitup podcast by Sashwath and Oscar where we speak with startup founders, venture capitalists and some of the leading talents in the world. We listen to their personal journeys and share their stories that shape their world view. Hello everyone. We have Zorian Rottenberg for our 16th episode of Sasitup podcast and the episode is called Science behind sales leadership. Hello Zorian, welcome to the show. Great to see you, Sashwit, Oscar, Sashwit especially. Excited to see you after a few months. We haven't seen each other. We worked together for a major consulting firm on a very interesting project around sales strategy. So very excited to see you again. Likewise, Zorian. I think I had the good fortune of working with you as well. Tell me, like you are a HBS graduate, you've worked with investment banking, M&A deals with Merrill Lynch, and you've done a lot of work in the sales spectrum worked with enterprises like IBM and and a bunch of successful SaaS companies as well so how has your experience been with the entire uh, sales you know jobs and work that you have been doing for the last few years yeah i really like helping companies grow companies are these kind of microcosms of an economy you know businesses that they create value they create value for customers they provide great growth opportunities for employees and nothing is more fun than helping them grow as a chief revenue officer i write about this a lot you may have heard that i talk about this being like a portfolio manager at a hedge fund and this kind of is a throwback to my where i started my career which was on wall street and did some early pre sort of i wouldn't say pre internet days but pre modern cloud days of fintech businesses and also old school financial institutions and uh, it was a very rigorous excel modeling and pitch book presentation type job and i think those skills were very interesting to parlay into scaling businesses which is what i wanted to do after investment banking and after working in venture capital slash private equity and then going to harvard business school to learn more broadly about leadership and running companies and i wanted to take all of that knowledge and use that in a career of scaling companies and for me the best way to do it is through sales like literally running sales teams leading sales teams and figuring out the same approach that a portfolio manager at a hedge fund figures out macro and micro and understanding all the different influencing factors that affect how to grow and scale a saas company so love growing companies and growing their sales by leading sales teams and and applying sales strategy, sales force organizational design, customer engagement processes, sales processes, optimizing our growth and using the quantitative data driven approaches to modern sales management. Awesome. So, how is a typical day of Zorian Rottenberg looks like? I mean, he's a New England Patriot fan, but obviously he would be engaged in a bunch of activities. How does a day look like for you? Yeah, so I think an average day for a CRO is first of all being prepared the night before. So <laughs> just the <laughs> night before prepare what does my day day look like and creating a couple of top priorities. I'm a huge fan of this book called The One Thing by Gary Keller. It's really kind of understanding like what is a a one or a few key initiatives or things I need to accomplish the next day or this week that makes everything else much more effective. And I think about that the night before. I make a list and then the next day my priority is people. That's the number one most important thing in in leading sales as a chief revenue officer or VP of sales. And there are three really important things that I always keep in mind. Is 
people, pipeline, and process. The truth is there's there's five Ps you've probably read. I wrote about it like a decade plus ago, but it's, you know, people, pipeline, process, but also there's performance. You know, are we executing effectively? And plan, which is what is our game plan and strategy? But people, pipeline, and process is something I think about daily. You know, do we have, first of all, the right people in the right seats on the right boss? Are people well-developed? Et cetera, et cetera. But, but that's the people part. Then there's the pipeline. Is our pipeline growing commensurately with our sales, global revenue, even targets? And you have to think about pipeline daily because it's very easy to get sidetracked. We don't have pipeline creation, pipeline growth. We're not going to be able to hit the sales targets. And then the process are our processes scalable, repeatable, predictable, improvable, right? And are people following those processes? But that's kind of leading people, understanding they're going in the right direction. Am I helping them get there and taking the obstacles out of their way? And of course, making sure our pipeline KPIs are on track and that we're following the process consistently. And, you know, like sales leadership has a lot of qualitative and quantitative angles to it, right? So obviously you do a lot of coaching, you'd be doing doing a lot of hiring as well for SDRs. But if you were to approach this particular area quantitatively, right, as a sales leader, how would you approach it from lead generation to, let's say, sales closure? There's a lot of math in SaaS sales. And of course, you would probably say that you see a lot of debate online, is sales qualitative or quantitative, which I think is, I don't know, it's kind of humorous because there's a ton of data in sales, obviously. How can can there be even a debate about that you have to apply data to make correct decisions? It's, it's funny. But there are some qualitative aspects to sales, like, you know, relationship management, qualifying people or prospective customers, not people, but prospective buyers, right? So it's it's really a mix. There's no one or the other. You know, to me at a high level, there are three categories of data uh, in sales itself. And as a CRO, there's obviously much more. There's the demand generation part. There's the customer success, the expansion, right? The upsells, cross-sells, account management, et cetera. But when it comes to purely sales, there are three categories. One is activity. The other one is your pipeline metric or the objectives that you have. And then at the end, there's something called the retrospective metrics, which is the metrics about your results. And the first two are leading indicators, right? But the last one is lagging indicator and your results are already in. So you have to observe, you know, for example, metrics like sales cycle. That's a results metric. Your win rates, your average deal sizes in SaaS approaches called ARPA. But ARPA is the average revenue per account. Well, okay, you can only see that in retrospect. But the first one is in terms of activities is how many activities, let's say sales development team, how many Sales activities are they executing to achieve a key performance indicator of a scheduled meeting, first introductory meeting for the account executive? Or how many activities do they need to execute to create one opportunity in the pipeline? And these activities could be, you know, how many emails they sent, how many of those emails are hyper-personalized, how many of those are sort of in the sequence that are somewhat templatized and automated. So you see, you can get as granular as you need to. When it comes to pipeline metrics, there are so many. There are, you know, what is the pipeline inflow? How many opportunities were created? What is the pipeline trend? Is the pipeline growing overall? Pipeline integrity, pipeline health, pipeline flow and changes. For example, you know, our pipeline was 50 million last month. And this month, it's 60 million or 70 million. Is that good or bad? Well, it's not that simple. 
maybe it is good because it seems like it's it's higher, but maybe it's bad because we actually added a hundred millions hundred million dollars of pipeline, and actually we lost out of those hundred fifty, we lost like eighty of them, and we only have seventy left, right? In one month, and those eighty left us because a competitor created a far launched a far better product. I'm just making things up on the fly. But you see, you have to really dig in and understand those numbers. There's more to, you know, the sales management in a data-driven methodology than just plainly looking at the numbers. You have to sort of go drilling deeper and really understand the context as well. You help B2B companies to scale sales growth. And you have a very specific formula for that, right? You already talked about the three P's, like people, pipeline, process. You develop a formula for that that you use yourself. So what's your approach of enabling sales teams to increase revenue? That's a great question. And it, there's a complex complexity to it because there's no one size fits all. For example, yes, I wrote about the three P's and the five P's like a long time ago. And again, I see on LinkedIn, people come out and say, yeah, I'm doing... People, uh, pipeline and process, which is funny. They don't know that I, I'm pretty confident I invented that, but I don't think I've seen on the internet anybody else talk about it, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago or before me. But it's funny. I see people talking about it and then they say things that you could see they're just kind of using the, the words, but they may not sort of go really deep to understand how to turn the knobs and move the needle. I'm just suggesting that it's very hard to grow companies because there's not just those three or four or five things. There is just so much more behind the scenes. Number one is you have to find the right people. I see a lot of, and I don't want to sound, I don't want to say condescending because that's not my intention at all. But I do think I see a lot of younger or, or more junior or less experienced sales executives. That's probably the better way to put it. Out there on LinkedIn, talking the big game, Right. And saying, Hey, you got to recruit great people. I don't know if they know how to recruit great people. I know a lot of people don't really use a more structured process oriented approach to doing it. I'm not trying to come off in a, in a condescending know it all kind of way. But the issue is that building teams is actually not easy. And a lot of people are not doing it effectively. There's a lot of the finger in the wind, you know, kind of like, where does the wind blow? And a lot of like feelings, it feels like this person would do well. They're not using a structured methodology, which means they're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table. People is the number one factor in all of sales management. Great people combined with great leadership will produce fantastic results. So that piece of great leadership is important to understand because there are a lot of sales managers or folks who have a title of a vice president of sales, who will, even if they do hire good people, the problem is once they bring them in, they haven't developed the ecosystem for such people to be highly successful. You can hear that in the following statements, again, on LinkedIn, online. They say, it's very important to hire great people. What you don't hear them say is the other side of the coin is that it's very important to lead them effectively. Because if you're a bad leader, you'll hire a great person and they're just going to die on the vine. The really great ones will just immediately leave because they don't want to work for you. Someone like that who is, let's say, a very difficult manager, all they do is just tell people, do more. Just do more of everything. They have this kind of threatening demeanor. Not everyone, but they'll come in and be like, hey, you're not hitting your numbers. We've got a problem here. But they're not actually helping the team. 
They just create stress and pressure. But that's not really effective leadership. The bottom line is that how do I grow sales teams? The first thing is people. And it's not just recruiting excellent people. It's myself being excellent in supporting and enabling them with a system in which they thrive and succeed, which starts with, in my opinion, being, uh, there's a term called servant leader. And I aspire to that because what it really means is being a supportive leader, the kind that walks into any one-on-one meeting with a sales VP that reports to me as a CRO or sales director that's regional or even any sales rep I see just to check up on, but also say, hey, how can I be helpful to you? What obstacles can I remove out of your path? If you don't force yourself to bring that mindset of how can I serve and support my team to be more successful? If all I'm doing as a leader is just, I just want to hire good people and then I'm going to demand that they do more. And I'm going to check in and say, hey, how come you're not hitting your numbers and create stress and pressure? That's not leadership. That's not effective. And the people part breaks down. The rest of, you know, how do I grow companies? Again, it's much more complex than this. Yes, make sure the pipeline is growing and having all the right people growing the pipeline, all the right systems in place, processes, coaching, development around the people who drive the pipeline and the processes of effectively qualifying and scaling that pipeline. And then lastly, is making sure, yes, we have processes. But of course, I said, there's two more. There's the performance part, the execution. And the plan, the game plan, the strategy, right? The Salesforce effectiveness. And that's where the job of being a hedge fund portfolio manager is analogous because you have to understand the macro, the micro, all the different things that will affect your growth. But all of these macro, micro things that a hedge fund portfolio manager needs to understand to have a winning portfolio, you have to apply that same mindset or analogous mindset to running your global sales teams. That's how you grow sales. And I assume when you have great leaders and great people in your team, you get this high performance culture in your in your sales team, right? Very frequently, that is the case. Even if your product is average, there was a great post saying that in most successful companies, you'll see a pattern that even if you had an average product, if you have great sales and marketing, you'll be successful, which is almost like iconoclastic to what you read about today. There are a lot of companies talking about product-led growth with a very strong implication that if you have a great product, that's it. But I don't know. I think I would question that and say that, and and I would have to really get the data to get into a really structured, formal conversation on this. But honestly, I would challenge that and look at the real empirical data of the most successful companies out there where the product may not have necessarily been that great, but they had really great sales and marketing. So that's a conversation to be had today in the world of product-led growth being the primary focus for many. Eventually, people tend to buy from people itself, right? So obviously, even if it could be a PLG product, eventually you are talking to another stakeholder or another gatekeeper in a in an enterprise company. So the face of your company is the salesperson. And you'd always like to have a conversation with a great salesperson, comfortable, who is, you know, is good, who is really friendly to you, who understands your problem. And that's when the human connection comes in. It cannot be very programmatic, to be honest. Well, you just nailed something brilliant over there. I want to tell you why this is brilliant. This is a key takeaway, I think. Putting aside the very transactional applications like a mobile phone where you don't talk to salespeople, because we're only talking about business-to-business sales right now. What I think people have to understand that while, yes, the buyers today are making decisions online, yes, they want to experience your product first, 
And all those things are important, which is make why building a company today is so difficult. But once the company has sales at a couple of million dollars, in order to scale it effectively, selling to mid-market and enterprise, not the small transaction labs, ultimately, I would say the one area that nobody's talking about is the sales-led growth. And that you can have a great product, but one way most companies are not thinking enough about differentiating on is through sales excellence. Because if your reps are exceptional, if you are buying from someone who's a real great enabler of the buying journey, I didn't call them a salesperson, but let me give you a brief, super technical example. You click on a trial on a company, right? As an executive, you want to look into software that helps you. And the SDR from that company emails you and says, hey, yeah, before we give you a trial, we need to hop on a discovery call. But hold on, I didn't ask for a discovery call. I click on the button asking for a free trial. So now you're causing a disconnect and you're in sales, you're not creating the experience a buyer really wants. And then there are a series of other examples just like that or even worse that are being created by sales, creating this major friction. The companies that can create a great buying experience by making their salespeople much more effective as enablers of this buying experience, really differentiating through sales-led growth. It takes your product-led growth, combines it with sales-led growth, and you're going to have so much of a better scale of your company. But many companies don't do it. They're putting all their eggs in this product growth focus. They're not making their salespeople differentiate their company through far better selling, through a far better experience for the buyers. And that's what you were kind of saying right there, Sasha, right? If companies do that, they will be phenomenally successful. It's an empirical data. Better sales and marketing, you can have an average product and you'll still be phenomenally successful. But if you have a great product, and you've put a lot of effort into making your selling amazing and differentiating through sales, you're going to be like 3Xing, 5Xing, or 10Xing from what you otherwise would be. You reference to servant leadership as well, right, Zorian? So I just wanted to know, what are the sales persona that uh, you usually see? And how do the sales leader recruit the teams as well? Do they recruit people with complementary skill sets, like someone who has a very assertive and strong personality? Do they you know, recruit an analytical person who can complement them? How does that work? It really depends. It's much more complex than that. It's not necessarily about complementing, which could be part of it. It's just very circumstantial, depends on the context of the business. But if you're hiring salespeople or sales managers, whether it's first line sales manager, what I call FLMs, or sales directors and regionals or VPs of sales that report to me as the CRO, I always first think about what is it that we need? What are the skills matrices, right? I create a scorecard based on what are the critical skills we need. But it's not just skills. It's three things. One is personal traits or characteristics, which personality-wise has nothing to do with your skill set. You know, for example, for a sales rep, sales discovery, sales questions, handling objections, those are skill sets, but they have nothing to do with your personal characteristics or traits. But I first and foremost want to focus on those. And understand the person for sales rep, for example, their drive, right? Their ambitions and drives. You know, coachability. If a person is at a very elementary level, doesn't want to be given feedback and they're very kind of defensive, 
It's going to be very hard to coach them to be better. So that's your personal characteristics. There's also the capabilities, things like managing your time effectively, getting things done. And then there's the skill set. So there's three categories. So no easy way for different reps in different contexts or different managers. There are different sets of things I look at. I would say there's a lot of also, you know, commonalities. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, Zorian. Really appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, we'll keep touch. Sasha, always a pleasure to hang out with you. Uh, and I will never forget the fun we had uh, on that project. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I think it'll have a lot of impact overall. And Oscar, it's really great to connect with you. And, and uh, I look forward to hearing your podcast. Thank you for having me.